Hi, Paul here. This week's episode of DVD Clutter deals explicitly with themes of self-harm and suicide. Look after yourself while listening, or skip the episode for this week. If you're needing support, you can contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Hi, I'm Beck. And I'm Paul. And this is DVD Clutter. Hi, Beck. So, we're very tired. Yes, it's getting to us. We're just used to, you know, teachers have so many holidays. That's it. Now we have to actually work, and we're not used to it. Isn't that unfair? It's that and the fact that I stayed up past my bedtime watching a film. Oh, no. Past your bedtime. I know. So, up until nine, we... (laughs) Well, (laughs) 9.30. Alright, well, I guess we're going to do another episode. Of DVD Clutter, the podcast all about DVDs and decluttering. Every week we get a DVD from our collection, we watch it, we discuss it, and we decide whether it is kept, it is sent to the op shop, or... Locked away in the dungeon of a institution. institution forever. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, Could have gone very dark with Let's that. not go that dark. Yeah. <laughs> James Mangold's Girl Interrupted. Yes, Girl Interrupted. This actually, I know this comes down to one of mine, Mm. but it's actually one of Laura's. Oh. Yeah. So the part where I talk about, you know, how it came into my life is going to be very short. Is that all right? Yeah, that's fine. Let's get into that. Cool. (laughs) Well, one day I met Laura Mm. and then um, we started dating and then... After a while, we moved in together, and she tried to chuck out some of her DVDs. Oh, yeah. And I said, hang on a minute. No! <laughs> I don't, don't chuck out Girl Interrupted. I want to watch that one again. And here we are today. Yeah. But I have watched it before. And okay. th- my long-lasting memories of watching Girl Interrupted are just that it was pretty dark i don't remember a whole lot i remember she goes i remembered that she went to this psychiatric institution and that she escaped along with the angelina jolly character lisa Mm. and that they stayed in someone's house and that they found a dead body hanging because i think it's a quite actually re-watching it it is quite a visual very like graphic hanging body that you see oh yeah and i think that was really imprinted in my mind i yeah i can totally see why yeah so that's pretty much all i remembered so i was expecting it to be those things i know it was made a fair while ago so i was kind of interested to go back and have a look at the representation of mental illness Mm -hmm. with the kind of viewpoint of the 22nd century what the fuck are we in now 21st century Mm. A hundred years have not passed. <laughs> it feels like it, Paul. Just because we reached it 2020. It feels like it. And oh, that's one of the best things I think about discussing this film is looking at how it's sort of like a double lens. You're looking at how mental illness was treated in the 1960s through a lens of the 1990s. Yes, it's like it's like what, what is it the, in the 90s 2020s. perspective on how the 60s mm. treated mental health and what mm. what judgments are they making in the 90s about shock therapy which they portrayed very negatively or like whatever else happens in in the psychiatric ward yeah but then also us going like actually you still don't have it right that's it yeah that's it so it is multiple layer upon layer upon layer exactly and i can't wait to get into the discussion but before we do it is my uh duty nay privilege to 
uh, talk through the plot. So the book is based on the, the movie book. is based. <laughs> the movie is based on a book by Susanna Cason, and it was. Am I right in saying it was sort of like a uh, autobiographical? Yeah, yeah. She was of, a real experience. Of yeah. Hers. But I will talk about later. I have some differences to point out between the book and the film. Oh, have you read the book? No, I haven't. Oh, sorry. But I did some... (laughs) (laughs) I wish, now that you say that. As I was um, researching, I was like, oh, I really would like to read this book. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, Yeah. because I think the author also had some troubles with the film. Yeah. Anyway, so it's based on her experience. Uh, Her name's Susanna. And Susanna is played by Winona from... Winona Ryder. Yeah, Winona Ryder from... Um, <laughs> Many things. Beetlejuice. From yeah, Beetlejuice, from... We, oh, you mean... Yeah, things we've Things we've on, done. Because that's, that's one of the great things. Now that we're doing... We've done more and more episodes, more and more actors pop up. They do, again yeah. and again. And this film especially had... So many actors. It was an all-star cast. And I think that's because of the popularity of the book. They they wanted to get in on it. Yeah. So Mm. apparently the book was actually quite popular. It resonated with a lot of young women. And yeah, that's why I said there was a lot of people who wanted to be involved in the project. And that's why we see such an all-star cast. Should we rattle off some of their names? Um, I think as we go through the plot, we'll get to most of them. Good point. So Susanna, played by Winona Ryder, we first see... Well, actually, we first see her in this sort of dingy looking area with... Some other dingy looking people. Yeah, they look like they're kind of locked somewhere. Turns lost. to has a bit of a monologue and turns to camera, camera and says, Girl interrupted. Yeah. I actually quite like that. Am I just a girl interrupted? Yeah. yeah. I quite like that. We, knew, we know it's a flashback. Yeah. Yeah. And then we find out basically her story is she had a bit of a, a I guess, a, a nervous breakdown. Um, yeah. A depressive episode. Yeah. And suicide attempt. Yep. Although she does, can't admit it at the start. She mm. spends her first, you know, the first part of the movie saying she just had a headache, even though she took a whole bottle of aspirin and a bottle of vodka. Yeah. And her parents freak out and basically force her to a institution. Yeah. But she, she keeps saying my parents made me be here. But it is very clear in the film that she, she actually gets in a taxi by herself. She's put in there by a doctor. But then mm. she goes in a taxi by herself signs herself in because she's over 18 yeah signs herself in but doesn't realize she can't just leave yeah she doesn't realize that you sign yourself in it's i guess the naivety of an 18 year old still trusting your parents she's over 18 so i guess she's probably 20 maybe 19 20 yeah so she ends up in this institution called claymore and meets all these other women Mm. who are also there because they're having trouble with their mental health yeah um this includes the big one being Lisa. Played uh, by Angelina, Angelina Jolie. Jolie. And this is her Oscar-winning performance. Ah. Um, so she's there. You've got Georgina. Yes. So her roommate. Played by... Claire Duvall. All-time favourite, Claire Duvall. Yeah. From Buffy. From Buffy fame. Yep. And many uh, other things. Yes. Uh, Brittany Murphy plays Daisy. And she was so... I actually loved her performance in this. Yeah. She's brilliant. I didn't even recognise her. I, knew, oh. I kept on waiting for Brittany Murphy to turn up. And then yep. it wasn't until a scene quite late in the film that I was like... Oh, that's her. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, it really hit me. Elizabeth Moss. Yes, who plays Peggy, is it? Yeah. Polly. Polly. She's there. Then you've got... Looking over them all sort of is... Oh, no, then you've also got um Janet, played by Angela Bettis. She's sort of like a minor, I think. Oh, well, she's one of... Is she another, anorexia? Yeah. Or yeah. the lesbian one? The anorexia yeah. one? Yeah. So there's two kind of... The, I guess those three girls are like the, the main sidekicks. Yeah. There's Lisa and Susanna and the main... 
two. And then there's the three sidekicks being Georgia, Georgina, Georgina, Daisy, Daisy and, and Polly. Polly. And then there's two other kind of yep. real side characters who yeah, yeah. Don't who don't really get to, much. They don't yeah. get much airtime, yeah. Yep. Also in the hospital, you've got Whoopi Goldberg plays Valerie, who's sort of the warden. Yep. You've got the psychologist, Melvin. Yep. Played by Jeffrey Tambor from oh, Muppets in Space. Oh, I did not recognise him. Muppets from Space. Yep. Now I know who he Same is. Same year. And the dad from Arrested Development. And that's it. Oh, he's so famous. I guess that's sort of like the main... Yeah, that's the main cast. True. Yeah. Yeah. And then the first Doctor who you see her with is actually um, the father from that, that 70s, 70s show, show. which yeah. is really jarring to see him in that role. Oh, and Vanessa Redgraves plays sort of like the big, important psychologist. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that comes in halfway through. Yeah. Anyway, so they're in this institution and it basically goes through the 18 months that Susanna spends there. Yes. You find out that Lisa's sort of the head of the pack, yep. that she's sort of had a lot of trouble and she's been there for a really long time. Yeah. You find out right at the end that it's been eight years mm. that she's been in and out. Um, but Susanna's sort of really... In love with her. Yeah, almost. I was going to say falls for yeah, she Lisa. Does and for her. Falls for her and sort of for her lifestyle and her approach to life. Yep. She's very entranced by Lisa's energy, by the way that she lives... Her boldness, yep. her no fucks given attitude. So her and Lisa sort of become a bit of a duo. Yeah. They escalate their behaviours a bit until they actually run away. They actually yeah, run away. Yeah. When they run away, they drop in on Daisy. Who at this stage yep. has left. She'd been there for a little while, then she left. Yeah. Um, and her dad had got her all set up in this um, apartment. And she was like kind of surviving on her own. She was still mm. struggling, obviously. So the girls go and stay with her for a night. And Lisa says some awful things to Daisy. Yeah. Daisy takes her own life. Yeah. Lisa runs away because she doesn't want to get taken back to Claymore. Susanna stays around, gets taken back to Claymore and sort of has a discovery of that, you know, she doesn't want to be Lisa. Then starts her journey to get out of Claymore. Yeah. Then leaves. Yeah. Also... Missed a little sort of subplot of Jared Leto. Uh, oh, yeah. So, the boyfriend. Yeah. The boyfriend. I forget his name. Yeah, I forget too. Anyway. Not important. Well, yeah. So before she went into Claymore, her and Jared Leto had sort of like a fling. He was going to go off to Vietnam if his name got called in the draft. He comes and visits her once and then tries to get her to escape with him. Yeah. She says no. And I think it's a good moment because it sort of shows that she's like, no, I kind of like, you know, this is my life now. Yeah. And, and well, that's the first time you ever hear her say, because he's like, you don't belong here. He sees, he sees how heightened the behavior of the rest of the girls in the Institute mm. are. And comparatively, Susanna seems very put together and well yeah. adjusted. Um, so he's like, you don't need to be here. All these girls are crazy. You don't need to be here. They're insane. And she's like, I tried to kill myself. And yeah. that's the first time you actually hear her acknowledge that she tried to take her own life. Yeah. And then he's like, he's like, no, no, you didn't really. You know, he's kind of dismissing what she did. But then she, and then she really starts to identify. He says, these girls are crazy. They're insane. And she says, well, if they're insane, so am I. And yeah. she starts to kind of, yeah, put together the fact that this is, she's identifying or she's finding some community with these girls. And I guess that sort of comes to the crux of the whole sort of movie. It's Susanna's journey sort of, of living with her mental illness, but not being identified by it because yep. she sort of goes, she understands that she's unwell, but then yep. sort of steps too far and sort of goes, well, I am that illness. That is me. That's yep. who I am. And then sort of journey back to be like, no, that is part of, part of me. It's not the whole thing. Not all of me. Yeah. I guess that's sort of it. Yeah, I think so. We, we talk about... There's other bits that we'll talk about as we go through because they'll come up. 
So yeah. I think that's enough of a plot breakdown. Mm. Yeah. I think the only thing to mention is just the, the characteristics of each of the young women. Yeah. Um, so Lisa is very erratic. She's diagnosed in the film as a, as a sociopath. Yeah. Which maybe, I'm not sure, I'm not a psychologist. I did a little bit of research trying to figure out what the difference, what the uh, sociopath actually is. Because she seems to have, right at the end, she has quite a bit of understanding and self-awareness and empathy when she has this connection with Susanna right at the very final scene. And I just don't know if a sociopath would have that. No. So I did a little bit of research trying to figure out whether or not that's true. But most of what I what I was researching turned out to be the differences between a psychopath and a sociopath, which is really interesting. And I like I like because I read that finding book, the, that out too. The psychopath within test. Oh, that one, yeah. Yeah, and they sort of said psychopath, sociopath, basically interchangeable. So this video that I was watching was explaining it like a sociopath is a little bit. It's like a psychopath light, okay. quotation marks. So she was saying that a psychopath finds it really easy to detach from their emotions, has no empathy, etc., etc. Mm. Whereas a sociopath, apparently, they still can detach from their emotions. Like it's that's just how they live, essentially. But maybe it's a bit harder for them to detach, or they're, they're going to be a little bit more hesitant to detach. Okay, that's how she was explaining it. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, that's Lisa, though. Yeah. Then Georgina. So she's a pathological liar. Right, That's yeah. the Cleo Duval character. We don't see a whole lot of her lies come out. There's not much of that kind of comes to fruition. No. She's just a bit of a kooky character. Yeah. She's Susanna's roommate, so I guess we see a bit more of her than of the others. Mm. Yeah. Then Daisy. So Daisy has... OCD and an eating disorder as well. Yes. So Daisy has... It's not really... I don't know. Is it specifically diagnosed? Do they do that in that bit where they go and read no, their diagnoses? No, no, they don't read that out. But she has some form of eating disorder where she'll only eat this chicken that is um, made at her father's deli. Yeah. And later on, when Lisa says all the cruel things, she, Lisa kind of accuses her father of... Sexually abusing her? Yeah, yeah. Of Daisy's father of sexually abusing her her whole life and that Daisy likes it. So, these, so she only eats these chickens and she hides the carcasses under her bed until Valerie makes her she's allowed to keep like five chicken carcasses under her bed until yeah she can has to get rid of them yeah. and she doesn't let anyone in a room yeah yes yeah so maybe some OCD I don't know yeah I'm not a fucking doctor <laughs> no <laughs> but yeah kind of then Polly and you hear Polly's backstory yeah and that was so I, I kind of missed it was she did she burn herself yeah or, yeah yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, so she had... Sorry, it's just listed on Wikipedia that she's a burn victim. And I'm... Well, I oh, guess she, yeah. I guess she, she is. She is a burn victim, but yeah, yeah, she did it to herself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When she was like six years old, I think they said that she had a dog and the dog was... She was allergic to the dog. The dog was giving her a rash. So she poured gasoline where the rash was and then lit a match. Yeah. So to try and get rid of the, the, um, the rash. But we did hear that from Georgina, who yeah. is a pathological a liar. And then... So we don't know for sure. Just double... Look, um, I've done the Wikipedia summary up here, just double checking so I don't forget the characters. But it does say when Polly's files read out loud that you hear that it was just in a house fire. Oh, yeah, I missed that. I don't. Maybe they cut that bit. So she's a, a victim of burns. She's got burns all over her face. Yeah, she's got. I guess a lot of anxiety about that. Not one hundred percent sure what else is going on for her. No, she's just doesn't seem to fit in normal society. I guess. Mm. Yeah. She's very childlike and... Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. They're sort of the, the main ones. Yeah. 
Do I talk about what I've thought, I think? Yeah, I think your rose-tinted review. I, I just can't wait to... I've got a few things I really want to discuss. Okay, about. cool. Yeah. So, I don't know. I went back and forth. Sometimes I was mm. like, okay, like this is this is all right. This is an, an all right representation of mental illness. And then sometimes I was like, fuck no, this is insane. Yeah. And you're doing this purely for entertainment value. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, there was, there was a lot of like they and... Right at the end, when when um, Susanna was doing her narration, she was talking about they a lot, and they and they mm. and they, and it felt very othering. Yeah, it felt very much like an us and them kind of situation where yeah. it was like they the mentally unwell and us the mentally well. Yeah, she also she gets diagnosed as a someone with borderline personality disorder mm. um, throughout the film, yeah. which I'm guessing is probably something that was only just on the starting to get kind yeah. of traction because even now it's not recognized by absolutely everybody i don't think i think no, borderline I... personality disorder is still kind of disputed here and there yeah. and people don't know if it's what exactly it is yeah it's referred to apparently more as borderline traits now rather than right a, yeah than a disorder yeah. yeah so she called herself a recovered borderline mm at the end mm. and i was also like i don't know if that's something you recover from or is it something that you manage and live with yeah which a lot of mental health is because you can't get rid of your anxiety well, that's and that's that's my biggest problem with this film yeah. was right at the ending where because i said i think yeah the whole journey was her sort of coming, coming to, to terms, terms with the fact that she's yeah. got a mental illness coming to terms with it and then realizing that doesn't have to be her life her she doesn't defining, have to define yes. herself by it because she was she literally says well that's just me that's just the way i am i'm yeah. sullen i'm like this i'm i don't want to talk to anyone whatever but then it just seems to very quickly wrap it up and say well i guess i'm cured yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, totally. not one of those crazy people yeah they might not ever get out see you later bye i can go to the real world and yeah. i just kind of thought you made all this like it was like growth this. and understanding it was like if you can hear this noise I wipe my hands of this. Yeah. It was like, I'm done now. I did 18 months. But like, that business is over. Now Ooh. I'm a normie. Now like, I'm normal. Like, it's just... Yeah. Like, it exactly. Was, I'll be honest. I watched most... I watched everything but the last half hour in one sitting. Then yeah. watched the last half hour. And I honestly sat down and was like, what the hell happened? Yeah. Like, what happened between <laughs> yeah. my two sittings? This is... It's a different film. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Someone took over. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. So, I think that was... That was uh, one of my issues, that, that last little bit, how it sums up. That really could have done without that horror film-esque ending. There's this ending where after Susanna's come back from Daisy's house, after her attempt at runaway and Lisa's actually gone, she comes back to the fold and she starts really working on herself and then that's how she kind of gets, eventually is going to be released. And the day before she's released, Lisa comes back completely off her tree like she's just sedated but she's completely out of it you don't know whether she's on drugs or she's having like some kind of psychotic episode or whatever but then somehow throughout the night Susanna wakes up and she finds that somehow Lisa's got out of her solitary confinement Mm. bedroom yeah and she and the other girls have stolen Susanna's diary. So she chases them down into the basement and they go like down into these dark tunnels underneath where apparently, you know, they used to use the tunnels to transport patients from block to block so yeah. that they didn't get, cold, didn't get cold or whatever. 
So they're in this, like, it's very horror-esque. It's like, mm. you know, chasing down corridors. It's absolutely abandoned. There's, like, shadows and suddenly there's a fire over there Creepy for laughs. some reason. They've got a cat there. That, They've got a know, cat. Yeah. yeah. Like, it was just so weird and so unrealistic and, like, just, no. That's, like, what... This is so dramatic and you, I can tell you put this in there for entertainment. Yeah. And it's not part of the book at all. No, none of the parts because there's two... Two little times when the girls escape from their rooms and run away and, you know, go and break into the offices of some of the psychiatrists and read their own diagnoses and that kind of thing. And those things, they're not part of the book. Like, it's not something that happened. It's not something that could have happened because there's checks every 10 Mm -hmm. minutes. There's nurses on every corner. The fact that Susanna wakes up and nobody is there is just completely unrealistic. And it didn't even work in in the context of a film where you do get to you know suspend your disbelief and and delve into the world and you've got to jump into the world and and try and move with the film as much as you can it just didn't i was like i can't i can't believe that sort of yeah exactly and then shoved on top of that was this sort of breakdown from lisa in the oh i have learnt something sort of lesson yeah exactly which if she is a sociopath i don't think you do that i don't think you can learn and i think yeah that very much added it in And and it comes to the criticism that the author of the book had with the film was that there was too much of a play on melodrama. Oh my and god, I think, huge! And I think that ending sequence just really sums that up. Yes, hundred percent. I do think that's a symptom of, and I don't want to like move the conversation away from anything. But James Mangold is a director. Yeah. Because I think he's such an atmospheric director. Right. Um, What's he from? So things that people might know him from are the Walk the Line was a uh, big yeah. one of his. Yep. Uh, Logan, the Wolverine. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, movie uh recently he did ford versus ferrari oh wow so atmosphere is like his thing and this was early days of careers this might have even been his first big film big film i mean he had a lot of big names to work with so before that he did oliver and company great um my favorite he only wrote that oh that's the one about the, the like the talking dog isn't it or something oh i just thought it was like oliver twist no yeah it's about yeah it's a disney one right talking dog Heavy in Copland, so nothing I've sort of heard of. He also did Kate and Leopold. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm seeing a theme. And that 310 to Yuma remake. You remember with Russell Crowe? No. Think. But anyway, the films that I... I'm, look, I'm a huge fan of Walk the Line. Yeah. I know it's a bit paint-by-numbers biopic. I haven't seen it. Oh, yeah. I can't remember if I've got a DVD or not. But I really like it. It's, you know, it's ridiculous. But I think what works there is that atmosphere. Yeah. And sort of really... People listening won't see me sort of drawing this big um, circle circle with my hands. Yep. But that's what he does. He sort of like throws you as a viewer in there that you're kind of in this world very quickly. And I think it, it traps you. Traps is the wrong word, but... Encompasses? Encompasses you and makes you want to be in there and watch it. And I felt yeah. like he had that here, yeah. but then pushed it too far at points that, that last, really, yeah. really took you out and you just went, ugh. But I think he works on that in his career. And look, I haven't seen Ford versus Ferrari. But definitely Logan yeah. was a film that very much takes you in. And I've got that a film that we will get to do yeah. at some point. Sorry to just rant a bit. No, more, please. Yeah. I think it's good to... We can do our reviews together because mm. I actually don't have that many notes besides what I'm talking about already. The other thing that took me out was how gruesome the dead body was when so Brittany Murphy's character takes her life and she hangs herself and slits her wrists, mm. I believe, and Susanna walks up the stairs to find her hanging in the bathroom. It was just over the top. Like, I feel like 
you can suggest something like that without having to show. We literally saw her whole body hanging in the background. Yeah. It was just too much. It wasn't, it was jarring and it wasn't, I don't know. I find it more sophisticated to be subtle about these things, I think. And you can imbue so much more emotion, maybe. Maybe he wanted to go for shock value and it was shocking. I don't know. I wonder how much of that was his choice or... Because, yeah, it it feels grotesque. Yeah. That's, it doesn't feel right. And I was very... Because I kind of felt like that was coming, that yeah. it was going to be grotesque, I think. Yeah. The way Over I the put top it. Or, maybe that is realistic. I don't know. <sighs> I... And, like, they're coming up to the door and it's like, they're going to show something that's totally unnecessary. And then they showed... There's one shot where you just sort of see a a hand or the feet dangling. And and you're like, okay, like, still... Effective. Effective, but... And also probably still could have been done a bit better, but they're not going stupid shock value. And then straight away, next shot. And I'm like, you're letting me down. Like, you don't need that. It suddenly now becomes like a horror scare from something that's not... Well, it's a horrible thing to be depressed to the point of contemplating taking your own life yeah. but it's not that kind of horror it's not don't treat it like a monster jumping out no that's right and i really felt that cheapened it and yeah it was a bit yeah yeah grossed out by yeah. the approach and which also kind of leads me into another point as to why lisa can't be a sociopath because or, or is it she either is a sociopath or she isn't but they've got some they've got their wires crossed somewhere because she in probably this is sociopathic behavior or psychopathic behavior. She goes and takes money out of Daisy's pocket as Daisy's deceased and still hanging. So she robs the body essentially. And, you know, doesn't really care that she's kind of tipped Daisy over the edge by her with her cruel words. I mean, that, that could be very typically, I, I actually have no idea, but it could be, that sounds like someone with no empathy that sounds like someone who's completely detached from reality and only is out to serve themselves so how does that mesh with her at the end, kind of crying and yeah. acknowledging what she's done and acknowledging how fucked her life is? Again, yeah, it's they that don't, scene. They can't come together, those two things. I guess, you know, it would have been a worry going into it. You can't have... It's very hard to portray on set green someone that is completely unlikable. Yeah. So having that arc for Lisa probably was a... But maybe that was their mistake. Their mistake yeah. was they, they don't need to make her likable. No. She can be a character in Susanna's life that comes and goes. But they had, I guess they had Angelina Jolie playing it. They wanted to make her sexy as well, which was an, had another issue with you yeah. know the, the sexualization of this psychopathic character. And I guess maybe that is part, maybe they, maybe they do need to make her like that because, you know, she was very entrancing, I guess, and she was as a lot of sociopaths and psychopaths apparently are very charismatic and bring people into their, whatever they're wanting to do and manipulate people. And she was definitely like that, but then can't she just be someone that Susanna learns from and learns Mm. that there are people who have no empathy and there are people who are just completely detached from others reality and just live for themselves. It's a problem that Hollywood still, I think has an issue with that. They don't want to make an absolute villain. I don't know if you've seen the film version of On the Road. I have not. Uh, but so, Kirsten Stewart's in it. I yeah. One of my faves. Um, look, one of my favourite books. Film version, pretty, like, it's a good accompaniment to the book. But at the end, they had in this scene, so Dean, the character in that, yeah, is a psychopath. You know, yeah. only looking out for himself. Yeah. Living for the moment all the time. In the book, you know. Unapologetically so. Yeah, that's it. Basically leaves Sal half dying and being like, fuck it, I got yeah. my life. 
in the film, you get this scene where Dean sort of comes back and looks sad about like the decisions he made, oh, and I, I just feel like, well, fuck it, that's not what that, that's not who he is. Yeah. But yeah, that the, just another example. I think it's something that Hollywood just can't sit comfortably with this idea of having a major someone who's not who redeemable. Yeah. Um, I mean, come on. I know, especially. Get with it. These days, you've yeah. got like a film being released every four seconds on yeah, a streamer. We just one. need to get rid of it. So when did you first watch it? Was this the first time watching it? This is the first time I'd ever watched it. Had you heard about it before? I'd heard about it in context of queer studies in cinema. Oh, yeah. Because um, there is a moment when... Like which this. I wish that they... I mean, again, part of me is like thrilled that they didn't delve into this too much. But part of me is annoyed that they didn't delve into it too much because... Mm. And I think that's a Queer big representation. We yeah. So there's a moment where Susanna kisses Lisa on the lips mm. as a passing kind of, like oh my the God, where... Tiniest kiss. Yes. It's not like a massive kiss, but it's on the lips. Mm. And it means something to Susanna because she kind of, it's important to her that they're going on this journey together. Yeah. And I liked that kind of interaction with them was uh, quite liked. And, I, and it could have been, you know, it could have been more of a... Susanna coming to terms with her sexuality kind of thing as well, whether she was bisexual or lesbian or whatever, but because she was with men and she was, you know, labelled as being promiscuous in quotation marks, which was interesting. But one of the reasons she was in the mm. Institute was apparently her promiscuous yeah. behaviour, which we don't think is very promiscuous at all, no. really. She'd had sex with like two guys. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Like I found that interesting because I was like, on the one hand, there is this, this moment between the two women and maybe that's Susanna, you know, that is part of Susanna falling in love with her, whether or not that's a sexual thing or not is up to audience interpretation, which maybe they didn't want to do go and delve into that more specifically because of the time period and they're scared of putting queer people on screen or maybe, I don't know, maybe they just wanted it to be subtle or maybe they didn't think about it. Or maybe I, they thought two girls kissing hot. Uh, I, look, I'm going to take a negative. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's just interesting that I'd sort of been introduced to that setting, just sort of seen it as as an example, or I think I even just remember the film poster from looking at queer theory in film studies. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So I did a little bit of research. Yeah. I found a really good article uh, by Sam Manzella for New Now Next, the blog, and I'll link people to it. But she, yeah, has this sort of, I guess, ruminates on this idea that the film has sort of become a, a queer film. Mm. Uh, for representation versus uh, reasons, but it's also sort of become this idea of queer baiting. Mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think, <laughs> and queer baiting, if you don't know what that is, it's like teasing that there is a gay character or a queer character, but not never really fulfilling that yeah. representation. Well, yeah, that's it. So to say, we've got, and I'm going to do air quotes here, sorry, it's a podcast, representation. Exactly. There we've, you go. We've got the gay, yeah. or do we? Yeah. You know? It's fine for those people that don't like it, but, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we, we yeah. see you. Yeah. This counts as representation, right? That's yeah, fine. Yeah, sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's exploitative. <laughs> it's exploitative. Yeah. Yes. A good, if you are not familiar with the term queer baiting, a good example is in the OC when Marissa gets with a girl for like a week or two and then goes back to guys, (laughs) (laughs) which I don't know, like, or maybe that's great. I don't know. There's, there's, it's so hard to know because sometimes you're so desperate for representation, like we've talked about before, where you're just like, anything will do. And the problem is here, and this article talks about it too, is that it's sort of, because the film is about mental illness, it sort of interlinks queerness with mental illness. Mm in a really sort of dodgy way. Mm. So you're not sure if it's 
it doesn't make clear if its stance is how stupid is it that queerness used to be considered mm. uh, mental illness or whether it's sort of like, she's mentally ill, so she's so she kissing must be another queer. girl. Yeah, like, exactly, you know? <laughs> yeah. So she probably has feelings for some... Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of other things. Like, they Lisa refers to one of the girls who's in there as the dyke and maybe that's their comment because she doesn't seem to have any other presenting factors rather than other than just being a lesbian so i don't know if that was their comment on that attitude towards homosexuality during the 60s let me just read about that character on wikipedia please cynthia crowley she claims that she's a psycho sociopath like lisa but lisa denies the claim and states that she's a dyke Mm. she is easily amused she is 22 that is all. <laughs> that is that are all her character traits, and that's really all the film gives you. It is all. It gives it, you. Yeah, like, yes, that's so funny. If they were going to make a stance about it, like, come on, I know, and make is, a stance. Is it a problem of it being the '90s and it's not? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's a problem of filmmakers being complete wusses and mm. just not biting the bullet and doing something properly. Yeah, and there we talk broadly about filmmakers too. We're talking about. All the way from the studio level. Every down to every Every person involved in the production, is, I guess, has a responsibility. Oh, yeah, to totally. Ensure that, yeah, um, you do a genuine story. Yes, please. Please, please, please. There were some things I liked. That I liked mm. I liked it when they kind of oh, yeah, yeah. took their... Oh, I liked it when they, even though it was unrealistic that they could escape from their rooms, I liked the first the first time they escaped from their rooms, they went and went into the psychiatrist's office and read their files. And I felt like it was a real taking back of agency where they had been completely stripped of their agency in this mm. institute. They kind of went back and read their files and kind of laughed about what their psychi- psychiatrist was saying about them. And I kind of liked that because it's like, yeah, like you, there was moments, there was other moments that really balanced that out well, I thought, because there was moments when the doctor would tell Susanna's parents her diagnosis or things about her, but didn't want to tell Susanna. And I think that attitude has completely changed now, where if you're the patient, you're also the client and you get to know everything about yourself. You, you're the one who has control over your, whatever is being said about you and whatever is being written about you. So, you know, I think one of the one of the only episodes of Mad Men that I watched was one of the first episodes when Don Draper's wife goes to the psychologist and he the psychologist phones Don Draper afterwards and he's like, <laughs> oh, yes, well, your wife is suffering from blah, 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 blah. And Oof. yeah. <laughs> so I feel like that's definitely how it was at a certain time when if you were if you were the patient, you were treated with kid gloves and you were kind of mm. like, oh, well, we can't tell them that she's got borderline personality traits because she'll blow off her handle and she can't mm-hmm. handle it. Yeah. So she's got borderline personality Oh, uh, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I think now that and I think that scene contrasting those two elements of that film they were making the point that the patient needs to know in order to move forward and the patient needs to be included in the conversation about their own diagnoses and their own way of getting better whatever that turns out to be so yeah i like that bit and some of the acting was amazing oh i thought the acting was really good yeah yeah again for some of the characters not so much the mains but you do sort of get into that idea of i guess playing mental illness and yeah. like well lisa's character for example yeah. with angelina jolly she was so over the top mm. and again with a sociopath or a psychopath like aren't they meant to be really like controlled and suave and i don't know yeah i don't I, know enough about it but i just felt like she was so that was very much a playing a trope rather than 
yeah. got into the character. I'm surprised she won the Oscar for that, actually. Um, no, that's exactly where the Academy is. <laughs> I was so going to say like, was, but it's not subtlety. They, they are getting better, but subtlety's never been a great draw trait, card for, right. for winning an Oscar. It? Like you know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm I, not I, I, don't I just don't think them. it is. A, I think this is very much a, especially old school. One, you know. Academy Award performance. There's, yeah. there's crying. There's yeah. yelling. Yeah. There's yeah. Sexy times. There's yeah. everything. She was a young woman at the time, which is you know great because that's what all the men in there like to award. You know, <laughs> they like to award old men and young women because you know because the old men they like are to old see, men, yeah, and, and yeah. they want young women. Yeah. Um, great. That's lovely. I know. It's just beautiful. Yeah. I'm just trying to have a look at the other films that were no- nominated around that year. I oh, think American Beauty was yeah, it was the 1999 one. We've talked about 1999. <laughs> oh yeah, 1999, the but best yeah. year of film. What was there? There was American Beauty, Green Mile, Insider, Sixth Sense. So look, you know, that's what was sort of going on. This was the only nomination that Girl Interrupted got. got yeah, okay. yeah, that doesn't surprise me wholly. Yeah, and by the looks of it too, reviews at the time were like. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like you know, yeah, some good acting, but I, I don't think anyone could overcome how the story, the pacing of the story, just doesn't. That last half hour just comes out of nowhere. Makes no sense. It's like when I'm reading a kid's essay and it's just like, oh, <laughs> ten minutes left, and <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's what happened. And then I woke up from a dream. Yeah, <laughs> folks, we've been told we have to finish this today, so <laughs> yeah. we got so, that set <laughs> sequence. Yep, we got that down there. Let's go. Yeah. Do you want to hear some of the differences? Between the book yeah, and the movie? Yeah, for sure. I would love to read the book, but it is much more of a realistic recount as opposed to, like, a dramatic story. So I think, like, Lisa doesn't have as much of a role to play. She is there, but she's kind of a side character along with a lot of the other women in the ward. So she's kind of demoted, I guess, in the book or, or in the film. When they read the book, they promoted her to be mm. this, the character that she is in the film. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then again, the the ridiculous scenes in the movie that about the girls sneaking down into the psychiatrist's office and into the basement. That fire that suddenly lit itself in the fireplace when they were in the basement in the final scene. Like, where the fuck did that come from? I don't know. So yeah, so the book in the book none of that happened, and they were under constant super, supervision and constant checks. And a massive change is that in the movie, Lisa and Susanna escape and run away together. That doesn't happen in real life. So in the book, that never happens. Yeah. It's literally about her time in the institution. It's not about running away and staying with Daisy and Lisa, like kind of bullying Daisy into taking her own life. Yeah, It's not like that at all. And then one of the other things that stood out from this breakdown of the differences stood out to me is the institution in the movie seems like quite friendly and light and breezy apart from certain times when it gets dark and scary. Mm. But you know, one of the first scenes that Kaysen wrote about is walking in and seeing a girl painting herself in her own shit. So that's much more grotesque and getting into the real, Mm. this is like people, you know, this is what it's really like. Yeah. But that doesn't make sense. No, it does. Yeah. It's yeah. just like they took the palatable parts of, yeah. in quotation marks, crazy. They took the palatable parts of people who might be in an institution and they said, okay, these are the parts that Hollywood can deal with. We're going to put those in there. We're going to ramp up the drama. We're going to take this away mm. from that 
diagnoses and pretend that that exists in that diagnosis and then we're going to make a movie out of that yeah does that make sense yeah, yeah. and i think again it, it it emphasizes how grotesque the scene where daisy takes her own life is because you haven't been given this harsh world so yeah you know so yeah you have to i think you have to pick away you either yes. pick that you're really showing the full on the full on yeah or you're not and for that scene i think they had a foot in both camps and it I didn't think work it, Made the film poor. Yeah. Yeah. I really actually, unfortunately, um, due to time constraints, Laura didn't have time to watch this again, but I would love to hear her talk about it and watch it again because she's had, as a paramedic, has had a fair bit of interaction with people with severe mental illness, Mm. um, you know, in psychosis and that kind of thing. And it's full on. Like, it's really fucking full on. When you have someone in psychosis, it is, like, mind-blowing what is going on with that person. And, you know, they're seeing things that aren't there and it's real to them and it's fucking scary for them. Mm. and you know things are going on and they might be acting in the most bizarre way that you can ever imagine and i don't think this film captured that no i don't think this film captured the type of people who would actually be in an institute Mm. although maybe in the 60s you know every cat and their dog cat and their dog every dog (laughs) and their owner there was yeah just keeps coming back to that point that i don't think it it understood its message or its its tone it had its atmosphere (laughs) Yeah. Which drags you in, but the tone and message was way out. And even if you think about it and compare to something like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, yeah. which I think really makes a comment at the end. It does, about for sure. It. Yeah, about Where, the whole system. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this one's more like... Well, the system kind of works for me, yeah. Some people are crazy. Some of us aren't. Yeah. I'm one of them. Yeah. I yeah. had my stint and now I'm fine. Yeah, I work in a bookstore. I'm you know. recovered. <laughs> Like, which, which again, like, that's another, you know, I'm glad to see that it really did send that message that therapy can work. Yes. And yeah, that's really good. Yeah. But then it sort of pulled that away too and said, as long as you're not too crazy. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it also pulled that away and it said therapy can work and then you'll never need it again. Yeah. Like... <laughs> In my personal experience, therapy is an ongoing, lifelong journey to which you will come back to again and again and should come back to again and again because anxiety doesn't magically disappear. As is is all health. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. If you break your hip, there's probably going to be ongoing issues Mm. from that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That last half hour really was was a whirlwind of confusion. Yeah. Um, it feels actually like it, it is exploitative as well. It's exploiting the experiences of people with mental health issues to make this Hollywood film, which maybe all Hollywood is like that. Yeah. Maybe all films are like that. Not all films are like that. And it would be good to do some reading into how this fits within, I guess, a broader spectrum of mental illness. In film. In, yeah. Mm. And its depiction. Well, I'm sure it's better than a lot of other ones. Oh, it's like, yeah. It's like psychopaths. And people with mental illness were invariably the villain, yeah. Yeah. Or they're they're laughed at, or like, yeah. Bad language there, but they're really grotesque. Over the top, yeah. yeah. So we actually looked at mental illness in media Mm. when I was teaching in Ararat, because we looked at the representation of mental illness in films over time. Yeah, so we looked at Psycho, Me, Myself, Irene, and... Silver Linings Playbook and it has changed over time so it's gone from being like this scary thing to something that we can laugh at like in Me, Myself, Mm. Irene where he's got split personality or he's got schizophrenia and he changes from one person to the other and it's like this hilarious blah 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 Um, and I fucking hate Jim Carrey because of that film Um, and then it goes to something like Silver Linings Playbook where it's much more sympathetic 
mm. viewpoint, but there's still a lot of issues with yeah. the way because they're still fitting into a Hollywood studio system. Like they're still trying to make money. They're still trying to, you know, make it interesting and make it not that a normal story can't be interesting, but they want to make it. I don't know why they just don't trust people to be engaged with things that aren't no, but also punching you can't your make, face. Well that, like, yeah, but you can't be too like too real is too confronting. Maybe, I and mean, you can yeah. be confronting. That's part of a great thing of cinema. But there's also you've got to get eyes on. That's it, true. It, it's a balance equation, and that's true. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not the one here arguing for the yeah. straight white men that say we need more straight white men stories. But really, because it's enough. <laughs> but that is my role in the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> There's, there is another podcast that I recommend everybody goes and listens to. I really, really love it. It's called Psychology in Seattle. And he is a psychologist and he talks about all sorts of different films and representations of mental illness and representation, representations of psychology and therapists in a range of different films and a range of different TV shows. I've had one mm. of my most vindicating moments was yeah. watching Pretty Little Liars and thinking that therapist in Pretty Little Liars is doing a fucking terrible job of being a therapist. <laughs> you would never say that as a therapist. You would never say that because she's giving advice. She's being judgmental. Yeah. She's just being the terrible therapist. And then I listened to an episode where he talks about it on psychology in Seattle. And he was like, this is a representation of the worst therapy you'll ever see. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I knew it. This is bad therapy. So if you want to see what bad therapy is, go watch Pretty Little Liars. And it is some fucking terrible therapy. But one another really funny, not funny, really interesting <laughs> episode that he did was on the psychology of Ramsay Bolton, who you don't know right now, but after we've watched the three seasons of Game of Thrones that I have on DVD, you will hey, know who hey, I'm talking about. the first two seasons. Oh, you didn't watch them? <laughs> I watched the first six episodes of season one. Okay. So Ramsay Bolton comes in later. Okay. You haven't met him. He is... A fucking psychopath. Is he friends with Sean Bean? No. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hope he sticks around. I really like him in these first Stop. episodes. <laughs> Wait, so someone spoiled it for you? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so that is a really interesting episode because he does like a... He psychoanalyzes Ramsay Bolton, who is a terrifying character, but he looks at like his history and his parentage and trauma from the womb, you know, like all this stuff. It's so, so fascinating. So if you like Game of Thrones... And you like psychoanalysis, go and listen to Psychology in Seattle and the episode of Game of Thrones. Start with that one. It is fucking awesome. Sounds really good. It is. It's really fascinating. Well, we've given advice to our listener. <laughs> That's right. Shall we give advice to the DVD? Uh, I think I'm going to get rid of it. You're going to get rid of it? I think so. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, Laura was already going to get rid of it. I'm going to support mm. that decision. Yeah. I don't think I need to watch that again. I'm really glad I did watch it. Yeah, same. Um, I had it... It was on... It was higher up in my esteem last time I watched it, though. Yeah. I think I thought better of it, and now I'm like, oh, that's actually not that good. Uh, and to anyone who's listening, it's a good one to watch and talk to someone about. Because, like, I was really... As I was watching, I was like, I can't wait to have a conversation yeah, with this Yeah, there's a lot to dig into. Muppet of Space. Maybe I didn't get that same feeling. <laughs> what do you mean? I can't stop thinking about that movie. I keep coming back to it. Who yeah. is Gonzo? <laughs> um, oh, Gonzo. Yeah, so do watch it. The problem is it is hard to watch. I... Luckily, remembered a friend of mine gave me their Foxtel Now login details so I could watch the cricket over summer. So it's on Foxtel Now. Thank you, anonymous friend who yeah. will not name because you're giving out your details yeah. probably illegally. <laughs> so there's no, it's not on. It's not on Stan, it's not on Netflix, it's on Foxtel Now. Can you buy it on. And you can buy it on Google, you can buy it on YouTube. It's got a 50, 54% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. That's low. I didn't yeah. Know that. I can totally see that because, like, Rotten Tomatoes weird metric because it's only 
either you're above 50% or you're below 50%. Yeah. So I see a lot of people giving this, you know... Below 50%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two stars. Yeah. But not being like, this is terrible, but being like, this is all right. Ending shithouse. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like... Whereas Muppets in Space, like four out of four. Yeah. Same year as this. Same year. Mm, 1999, a great year for cinema. Oh, what a great year that was. Good Um, year for Jeffrey Tambor. (laughs) Great year for Jeffrey (laughs) Tambor. He was raking it in that year. Covering all bases, Mm, you know? Children's film, adult films. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else that I wanted to talk about. Do you? Nah, I think that's it. My love for Clea Duval will continue. Forever. Forever. I know I talked about this before, but I cut it out because I didn't think it was relevant. Whereas now it's relevant. And Clea Duval has just released or is in the middle of making, I believe, a new lesbian rom-com, which is super exciting. But you talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> you erased it from history. I did. Oh, yeah. So just, you know, go and watch some Leah D- Clea Duval films. You've got her in Buffy. You've got her in um, But I'm a Cheerleader. There's this other film that she's in called <laughs> The Intervention. Also other films. There's <laughs> some other things she's in. Just go and support a queer filmmaker. Right. The Queer Film Festival is actually coming yes. up, so go and support that too. That's it. Go and watch some queer film in Melbourne. Woo-hoo! Yeah, and while you're there, have a chat to everyone around you about your favourite podcast, DVD Clutter. Yes, and why how not? They can subscribe and rate and review us on their favourite podcasting app. They definitely can, and it especially helps if they would love to do so. They can do it on iTunes, and it mm-hmm. helps our visibility. But also, you can just do it on anything, and tell your friends, and follow us on Instagram at DVD Clutter. D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T-T-E-R. That's it. And send us an email at gmail at DVD Clutter. That's it. That's it. Sorry. Oh, there's on, we have on Facebook too. Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Oh, no, I was waiting for you to do the DVD, D-V-D-E-C-L-U-T. Oh, that's it. But, but you were it a girl. It didn't work. Oh, <laughs> stop. Uh, Bye. I think we're, we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> we are done. Bye. Bye.